Welcome to the School of Athens by Estelle and Leah. Making philosophy more accessible to younger people. Um, <laughs> hi guys, welcome back. Hi. So, um, I'm Estelle. And Leah. After like two weeks of absence. We hope you had a Merry Christmas, ho, ho, ho. And a Happy New Year. Leah, you've you've had your 18th birthday as well, actually, right? Oh, yeah. And you too. I mean, we've been 18, like, over the holidays, so we're adults <laughs> now. Um, So this is not a podcast by young people for young people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first of all, we wanted to give you some philosophy introduction recommendations, because this is um, like a, a podcast that's supposed to, you know, draw you into philosophy and all. We thought it might be good to give you some recommendations. So this one um, is a book that we both really liked. Um, it's called Think by Simon Blackburn. It's a really nice book if you want to, if you don't know that much about philosophy in depth yet. But um, it's like a nice introduction to all the different key topics in philosophy, including like determinism, nature of God. Ethics. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And then like if you already know about your interests a little bit more, if you're like very interested in, I don't know, logic or philosophy of science or something. um, I really like the series of Oxford, very short introductions. And they have like, many um you know many little like books about also philosophical um problems or topics or thinkers yeah i really like those if you like really want to get into it um there's also this podcast by bbc called in our time philosophy i love that podcast because um the topics are very interesting and yeah and they talk about philosophy a little bit more in depth so it may be a little bit more advanced, but I really like it. And if you're mm. interested, you should give it a listen. Yeah, and another maybe more accessible podcast is, is called Philosophy Bites. It can you can find it on Spotify and I think all the main podcast apps. And it's like very short, ten minutes, ten ten minute, twenty minutes, like episodes on um, small topics, and it's very. Very accessible, very easy to understand. Um, there's also a website, Philosophy Now, that has really good articles on philosophy. Links are given in description. Um, so our podcast, obviously, the is called School of Athens, and maybe if you've seen from like our cover, um, it's the two key fig- figures from the School of Athens, and the School of Athens is um, a famous painting by Raphael and it's painted between 1509 and 1511 and I've actually gone to see this painting it's very cool and it's it's smaller than you think it is the two main figures are in the middle and you can see uh, Plato pointing to the sky um, as an idealist and we'll talk more about that in, in a moment and we have Aristotle pointing well not pointing but his hand is sort of um, towards the ground and he's an empiricist sort of reflects their uh, views as well yeah but if you don't understand yet that's fine because we'll talk about it later the school of athens is yeah um, as estelle said this very famous painting by Raphael. it basically captures one of the main um, themes of renaissance so the rebirth of ancient greek philosophy 
we wanted to kind of link that to our mission or like our aim <laughs> um, because we want to, you know, bring back philosophy to to youth, right? Or have this kind of spirit of rebirth or, mm. yeah, or admiration of the work of early philosophers. Um, and that's why we also thought it might be good to talk about it in the second episode. Yeah. We'll be talking about Socrates, Plato and Aristotle and this sort of goes in a chronological order almost because Socrates was um, Plato's teacher and Plato was Aristotle's teacher and Plato's formed his um, famous like academy. The academy was founded by Plato in 387 BC in Athens. Aristotle studied there for 20 years before founding his own school, the Lyceum. So for Socrates, um, he lived from... Uh, 470 BCE to 399 BCE. And what's very special about him um, is that he actually never wrote anything down. You know, all this knowledge we have about him comes from his disciples and mostly Plato. So we can't say for sure what his opinions were, but he is, yeah, a very important philosopher. Um, philosophy is also like um, divided in pre-Socratic philosophy and post-Socratic philosophies. Um, and why he's so important is because he really acknowledged the importance of knowledge. So um, he said, for example, that you can only live fulfilled life if you look for knowledge or if you keep asking and, and finding out new things. So yeah, that's kind of the spirit of philosophy. Yeah. And one of the articles... Uh, from the website I mentioned before is called Socrates Re Revisited the Jurist Speak. One of the key facts about Socrates, I guess, is that he was executed uh, by Athens for his, um, like, almost, um, what's the word? Uh, well, like, I don't know, hybrids? Controversial, I was thinking. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, well, like controversial ideas on politics. And um, this article sort of shows what, um, the, pe what the people have, what the people have. who condemned him, thought of him, and um, they sort of accused of Socrates of thinking that he's above the gods and that he's arrogant, hubristic. Obviously, Socrates, like a, a counter that was said by Mr. White, I think, in article was that Socrates knows that he knows nothing um, and that, in fact, he wasn't arrogant at all. He was humble in his lack of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he knows that he knows nothing. I mean, that means that he kind of acknowledged that, you know, human conception is so incomplete or that we can never really um, know everything or know something for sure. So, yeah, that's kind of the spirit of um, his uh, thinking. But also, I mean, at the same time, he thought it was important that we keep questioning um, to find out more. And this form of questioning and uh, wanting to get to the bottom of things, that really shows in his um, primary method. So his Socratic discourses, because he is famous for basically just going everywhere, like going to random places um, in public and and talking to people and um, and questioning them until they realize that they were wrong or um, by questioning them, showing them where their knowledge was incomplete or this like method of, of talking to people and and gaining knowledge through that yeah it's pretty interesting a part of why he was uh executed as well is i think 
his romantic or sexual relationships to younger boys. And it's mm-hmm. not that, yeah, in Greek um, culture, it wasn't really, the problem I think wasn't even that he, you know, was maybe homosexual or like engaging like in homosexual activity, but um, that he was kind of drawing this, these young people into his philosophy or that he was um, kind of convincing them of new ideas or, you know, ideas that, the city-state, you know, Athens didn't approve of. So on to Plato. Um, He lived from 428 BC to 348 BC. And um, as I've mentioned, he's Socrates' disciple. And he wrote in dialogues. And one of his uh, famous um, writings is called Plato's Republic. And some of his, like, most famous... I guess almost like stories um, uh, from that and including like the um, cave allegory and the myth of Ur. So um, I'll talk about the myth of Ur quickly. Um, And this is like linked to his ideas on the afterlife because the myth of Ur tells how a soldier who died and went to the underworld or like the after the world of the afterlife and well he was he didn't completely die there because he was given the sort of the role to observe what was happening in this world and to come back to life and like to report it to others and what he saw was people entering from heaven and then people entering into hell and like he heard what how they described heaven and hell like heaven was like this wonderful place and it was uh, the best thing ever whereas hell was like tons of torture and basically this myth just shows like these ideas these ideas of heaven and hell and um on the other hand is the cave allegory which is really famous um the story starts with like how and um, there's like three prisoners and they've sort of always lived in a cave, strapped in this cave, and all they see are the shadow shadows of the people and like of the life that's happening outside of the cave. But um, because that's all they've ever seen, they think that that's the entire world out there. That like the shadows are their re- reality for them. And one day, one prisoner is let out, and he sees that there is an actual entirely whole new world out there this sort of links to Plato's essential idea of the forms and the world of the forms and how um in in the cave allegory like the sun sort of um represents the highest form yeah no that's really interesting um I haven't heard about the myth of Ur for the idea of forms um I mean, you said before when we were talking about the painting that um, Plato's pictured as like painting above, um, pointing above and like looking up. Um, and I think that really like shows how Plato approaches his, um, his thinking or his philosophy because he's always, he's a very like otherworldly philosopher. So he kind of tries to see what's not there or how things maybe should be and his idea of forms is that in like another world or like outside of this world there are forms of things like in their in their perfect form so for example um there's the perfect i don't know like mind or something and we 
um, can can we don't know these for these perfect or ideal forms, of course, but we have like lesser forms or lesser versions of them. So our mind, for example, is a lesser version of the ideal, like you know, mind or something. And this is um, like for everything in the world, right? Like, um, yeah, exactly. for example, like a chair. Like when we think of a chair, we usually like think of four legs and like maybe a back backrest mm-hmm. and like armrest so I don't know but all of these like characteristics like in this Plato's world of the forms is like a perfect form of this chair this sort yeah. of links to his ideas as a dualist as well a dualist believes that the mind and body are distinct and separate entities Plato thinks that we are when we're bored we're like are we're, we're like we're sorry like how our minds or souls have always like they live in the world of the forms and every time we're born um and we're given given this like new body or whatever because through birth of this like because the birth is so painful and like horrible like horrible um that we forget like all our knowledge Mm -hmm. of the world of the forms of the perfect forms and actually through life as we gain knowledge of like of our world like like how things work around us that's Mm -hmm. actually us just remembering what we um we saw in the world of the forms actually that's kind of like a cool idea actually (laughs) (laughs) one thing that i also find very interesting about plato and i think i already mentioned this to you is um like his idea of the ideal state for example because yeah he doesn't like democracy right um so he thinks that the perfect form of ruling would be if the philosophers or like the wisest people would rule and he actually like really like flashes out this idea of like what the perfect state would look like and i'm not like gonna go too deep into this but basically the rulers who are the philosophers they live like separate from the from the normal people or like the just the citizens and they there's like a whole concept built around them for them to be able to rule wisely for example to protect them against like corruption um they almost live like like in a very almost communist way you know obviously the like communism wasn't a thing back then but um they don't get to own property or like they don't they can't own anything not even they don't have like their own wives they have to share their children and everything so um and all that to prevent them from becoming corrupt or like yeah attracted to other things than the best interests of the people Mm. and it's also been misused i think in like politics in modern politics yeah but let me ask you a question i mean why plato writes in dialogues is that he thinks that you know dialogue or talking to people is the best way of um doing philosophy so do you think that's true yeah, I think obviously in philosophy, discussion and debate is a huge, huge thing. But often, like writing helps you like uh, consolidate your thoughts better. But like I think this discussion as a first stage and uh, and to like stimulate more ideas, I think that's really important. Yeah. Okay, but you think that in writing we can come to like a clearer conclusion? Yeah, because um. In in speaking, sometimes if, if we were to write what I maybe said, like the mm-hmm. same meaning maybe wouldn't have conveyed because like through my tones or like body language, maybe more like more is conveyed. But like I think it's art, almost like a art or like a skill to like convey your 
message through writing I think that's harder but also like it's really important to do yeah also like to just like share this knowledge through for like future generations yeah I think you're right I, I'm not sure like what I think myself but mm-hmm. both sides like both writing and and like speaking have advantages but I don't know I think there's something about like speaking to people or like having being in dialogue with people I don't know that's very special because you as you said you know you get new ideas or um and maybe in a Socratic discourse you realize what's wrong about your own ideas no exactly it's it's, um like I think both are important but um like in terms of like storing knowledge or like storing um information because like in in the old days once upon a time i guess they had like oral tradition and like things would be passed down like through like saying and often like a lot of information isn't passed down or is passed Mm. inaccurately so i think writing like in addition would definitely make things more yeah no for sure Okay, let's talk about Aristotle now. So Aristotle's from 384 BCE to 322, and um, he's Plato's disciple. And um, as we've mentioned from the painting, The School of Athens, he's um, an empiricist, and that means that he sort of values like empirical evidence, which you get from observing the world around you. Well, you can see that the grass is green and... Exactly. And I don't know if you noticed, but that's like kind of the opposite that Plato is doing. So um, again, in the painting, um, Aristotle, he is doing the opposite that Plato is doing, right? So he's focusing on, you know, the world that we can see or, yeah, kind of like our level, let's say the ground, (laughs) because he thinks that it doesn't make sense to theorize about, you know, ideas that we have no way of proving or something focus on you know reality and he um thinks that we should understand the workings that we can actually see and like um determine yeah aristotle is like uh one of his like main teachings or i i guess is like his ideas on the four causes and he categorizes them into like material efficient formal and final so material is what something is made out of for example a candle is made out of wax and um efficient is who made it sort of like what process was like used to make it for example like a blacksmith made a knife and a for the formal cause is the shape and form of the object like a cup is like round or whatever mm-hmm. and um the final cause is uh linked to his idea on the importance of like telos the end or purpose and mm-hmm. um a candle maybe its final cause is uh to like shine light and um there's been like arguments on uh, like what happens if the final cause has like different there's like different final causes for example like a knife could be used to like um chop vegetables but it can also be used as a murder weapon mm-hmm. and um also just Aristotle's sort of like idea of god he terms it as the prime mover so he says like, everything is moved by another and like the prime mover is like the start of it all Wait, isn't that Aquinas? 
Uh, Aquinas actually has um is like very much influenced by um Aristotle. Like I was gonna say this anyway. Like Aquinas is natural law, and Aquinas just like all of his ideas are very much like stemmed from like influenced by Aristotle's ideas. And Aquinas, one of his like ethical theories that he um he said was like the natural law. Like what he gained from Aristotle is that like knowledge is not innate but is gained from the reports of the senses uh, like and um, mm. and from logical inference from self-evident truths so um what was so this is linked to natural law what was just by nature was not always the same as what was just by law but, i mean aristotle also is known as like i think the founder of formal logics him, something that he created and that's still very meaningful today is the syllogism so um a kind of argument where when two premise like two premises um logically force the conclusion so basically like there's no way that um the two premises are true without the conclusion being true so like an example is all humans are mortal and that's like the first premise then the second premise like i'm a human and then as a conclusion like i'm mortal so there's no way that i'm a human like that both premises are true that I'm a human and that our humans are mortal without the conclusion being true, you know, that I'm mortal as well. And yeah, um, I think that's the kind of like logic that Aquinas uses. Aquinas uses but, I yeah, think sure. it's also used as like a criticism almost. It seems like logically correct to say like, for example, like men exist, first premise. Mm-hmm. Second premise, um, Santa is a man. And third premise, Santa must exist. Logically, exactly. it's all through, but um, like it, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. That's like kind of one of the problems that comes up many times in philosophy. So, for example, do you know like Aquinas, like one like famous like syllogism that's so where there's so much controversy? So basically, that's like the prime mover thing, right? So everything in the universe is moved. I think is the first premise. Like the second premise is like nothing moves by itself. Um, everything must have something that causes it to move and so the Mm -hmm. conclusion then would be so there needs to be a prime mover something that initiates the first right that's that's his um cosmological argument i think exactly so in conclusion i think it's extremely impressive you know how far these really important ideas reach um and how especially like how much influence these people had i mean yeah, we still talk about them today, and it's more than two thousand years ago that they lived. So, and of course, we weren't able to cover that much ground. But I mean, in in everything, in like the foundations of democratic thought, even um, I think there is still a lot that, that relies on this notion of you know finding things out yourself or like keeping questioning and like finding out the truth and everything even though plato and socrates were so anti-democratic i still think that's like very deep rooted in our culture Mm -hmm. i think a lot of these topics we can make further episodes on like small topics that we've mentioned today so um again thank you guys so much for listening um yeah we hope you you enjoyed it Bye. bye Thank you for coming to our lesson. We hope to see you again next week.